Wow, it's great to see you here this morning, and I just want to take a moment to celebrate a second for what happened in this building last Sunday. Uh, Friend Day was a great success. Thank you so much for all of you invited people. Some of you may have invited folks and nobody showed up, but you all did a great job greeting people. I was talking to one couple who had been in the military, been across the world, and they said this was the friendliest church they'd ever been a part of. And I, I hope you've had that experience. Thank you so much for so many have come back. One thing I love about Friend Day is we always have an invitation card. And now we have... Uh, We've decided to have a permanent invitation card, and you can see a picture of that up here. You can get them in the lobby. Uh, it's so much easier to invite somebody to come when you've got something to give them. So I hope that you will take advantage of that. One thing you might have noticed when you walked in this morning is we've got these triangle boards out in the lobby, and uh, I call those our job boards. And we've asked everybody to write on a little post-it note where you work, where you show up on Monday, and, and what your name is. And those, it's been awesome praying over that. I, I, I did get a little tickled when I was praying over one side of the board, and you can see Bob and Sue Marshall. Sue, I work for Bob. Bob, I work for Sue. I think Bob copied, don't you? Uh, but they will lead our next marriage conference, all right? I think that would be really good. So, hope you'll do that today if you didn't do it last week. But we found out a lot of things last week. We found out that we work all over this place in all kinds of different jobs. And we also, in our open prayer time, found out a lot of the challenges that each of us face at work. Here's just some of the ones I've heard about. Many of you work with a great fear of failure or uncertainty. Many of you feel overwhelmed by what you face on Monday morning. Some of us have a fear of failure. So many of us say, we've got this incredible challenge of trying to balance work and family. Some of you deal with difficult bosses or atmospheres that are full of criticism and negativity. I found a lot of you, especially teachers, deal with an awful lot of stress in the world we live today. And then we had a lot of students who say, you know, it's the challenge just to keep my work done and my grades up, or even as far as being bullied in school. I guarantee we all face challenges. Now, here's my question for today. In the middle of everything we all face, how in the world do we stay motivated? I mean, only 32% of Americans say they go to work and are significantly engaged. Only 32%. So we all struggle with this motivation in the middle of what we're doing. And today, this is going to be a one-point message. And we're going to discover that in a minute. What is the greatest motivation that you have to go to your workplace tomorrow? Let's go back where we were last week to Genesis 1, verse 26. Remember what God said in the beginning? Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. Those two words highlighted there. Image and likeness are parallel words. They're saying the same thing. It's really fascinating if you read history from that day. When this was written, people would have had a picture of what an image of a king would look like. In fact, here's what would happen. As a king conquered new territory, they would put an image of the king there. And so anywhere you saw this picture, this image of a king, you knew that was his kingdom. 
Uh, for instance, today, if you were going to go into Great Britain, it, it, instead of a sign at the border that says, Welcome to Great Britain, in this day, they would have a picture of King Charles. Because wherever that picture was, he ruled. And here's what God's saying We are his image. Wherever we go in his likeness, God rules. And so this morning, I would start with this job title we discovered last week. Here's our title. We are God's representatives and agent. Think think about that before you go to work tomorrow, before you go to school. You represent God. And when you're there, what you represent is the rule of God. And so we take that as a great motivation. Now, when we get to chapter 2 of Genesis... You're probably aware of this. There are two creation stories in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 is about the creation of the the world. Genesis chapter 2 is about Adam and Eve in the garden. And this job description is going to get a little bit more specific. And we're going to start discovering here what our highest motivation must be. So listen to Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man... He put him in the Garden of Eden. Read this with me. To what? Oh, you guys, that was really beautiful. He put him in the Garden of Eden to what? And to what? Take care of it. Now, we're going to do a little bit of uh, ancient word studies here for a moment, okay? Because these words have a lot of meaning. So we're going to look at these two words and what they mean, and then we're going to go to the New Testament and look at a parallel word that will communicate this very well. The first word is that last one there, to take care of it. It's the Hebrew word shamar. And that's what it literally means, to take care of. You could, you could translate it to protect it, to watch over it. Guys, listen to me. We talk about environmentalists today. Adam and Eve were the first environmentalists. They were charged of taking care of the world. It should not be a weird thing for Christians who believe that God created this place for us to be the most motivated about taking care of it. But understand this. In this word, the image is not of an ecological reserve where there's plants and animals and you can't touch them, you can't deal with them, you just sort of walk down a path that's roped off. That's not the picture. The picture to take care of it here is more active. In fact, if we went back to chapter 2, before this verse, he begins to tell them about how God made trees, and God made fruit, and God made the rivers. And then in in, in verse 12, there's something that I've always read and thought, why is that in there? There's a parenthesis. The gold of the land is good, aromatic resin and oxen are also there. Well, what's the deal? Who cares if there's gold and oxen and resin? God does. Because that's part of communicating what this word means. It means that we are to take the raw materials of the world and we're to make something out of it. You know, we understand at the beginning of time, the world was a wild place. God's role and our role is to bring order out of chaos. There's lots of different natural things. There's pent-up things in the world. And part of our task is to take the things that are pent up and make them into something that's meaningful. Um, for instance, here's, 
One of my favorite authors is Tim Keller, passed away over the last year. Great, great teacher. Here's his definition of work, okay? Listen closely. Rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. So we're to mine the earth to make a place where we can all see beauty and experience life and meaning. So there's this pin-up potential. We are, the word here is to cultivate it, all right? I mean, just some easy examples. What's a farmer do? A farmer takes soil and seed and water and dirt and makes it into something that we can eat and enjoy. A fashion designer takes fabric and thread and metal and makes it into something comfortable and beautiful. A musician takes sound and tunes and lyrics and and brings them together to make something that's inspirational. A graphic designer takes shapes and typefaces and palettes and rearranges it into something that actually is catchy. And we can go on and on. But all of those are the work of God. They are to take care of things, to cultivate them. Now, listen to this. This is fascinating to me. The word here to cultivate is the same word that we get for culture. In other words, what Adam and Eve were in charge of, what we're in charge of is building a great culture where people thrive. Now, so so let's go back for a second. I've always visualized Eden or paradise as just a place where Adam and Eve had no work to do. They're just laid up on some beach reading their favorite book, drinking their favorite beverage, you know, getting a good suntan, scrolling social media. Sort of difficult. There's only two people on Facebook at that time, right? I mean, I just, I just realized this, it's just a vacation to do nothing. That's not what God asked them to do. That's not what God's asked you to do. He's asked you one out of seven days to do it. But God has said, this is a place for you to make better. You take the raw things around you, and you make it into something that actually is good. You work it. And that brings us to our next word, which was the word there in Genesis 2 for work. It's, it's the Hebrew word abad. And just, just go with me here. You see three different legitimate translations of this word. The one we see in most of our Bibles is work. It also means service. And here's the one that shocked me. It also means worship. In fact, through the rest of the Hebrew Bible, almost every time a bod shows up, it's called worship. So work and worship aren't two separate ideas. They are connected at the hip. And I would say to you this morning, it's a tragedy if we celebrate our work from our worship. Now, there's a passage in the New Testament that's almost the same kind of language, uses a very similar word in the Greek, I think, that will really help us. Look with me at Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, here's what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, let's just stop there for a moment. The first 11 chapters of Romans has described the incredible love, grace, and mercy of God. And he says, man, in view of how good God's been to you, what's your reaction? Here it is. 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's Old Testament worship language. Instead of offering a lamb or a goat, he says in the New Testament, you don't kill it. You offer your life, your body, as a living sacrifice. And then look at what he says in verse 2. Holy and pleasing to God, that is your true and proper, what's the word here? Worship. Now, when I was growing up, we had this really tough Sunday school teacher in fifth and sixth grade. Her name was Flora Taylor. To tell you how challenging it was, she actually gave grades out, okay? How many kids would love to have a Sunday school teacher? She graded you. And when I was in fifth and sixth grade, we had to memorize the whole chapter of Romans 12. I see Cindy Burnside in here. She had to do it with us. Now, I don't remember much of it. But I do remember verse 1. I want you to notice the difference in the King James Version and what we just read in the NIV. Therefore, by the mercies of God, I implore you that thy body be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of service. You go, who got it wrong? King James says service. The NIV says worship. Guys, here we go to our next word, literia, which is a Greek word, which means service and worship. Both translations are correct. So often I think, you know, I'm out here and I'm doing this service. That's good. But often I don't connect that with it bringing glory and praise to God. Listen to William Barclay's commentary on this. Here we discover a most significant thing. True worship is offering to God of one's body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not offering to God just a liturgy, however noble, or a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is offering of everyday life to Him. Not something only transacted in church, but something that sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. Isn't that beautiful? A man may say, I'm going to church to worship God. But he should also be able to say, I'm going to the factory, I'm going to the shop, I'm going to the school, I'm going to the office, I'm going to the garage, I'm going to the mine, I'm going to the field, I'm going to the garden, I'm going to the shipyard to worship God. Don't you love that? Now, let me, let me just be honest with you. When I first heard someone say all of life was worship, I was pretty mad. Because I grew up, in church I grew up in, we were taught there were only five acts of worship, okay? Anybody else get that? There were five. And so when someone said this, I thought, man, that's just going to mess our whole argument up. And, and, and so it, it was sort of shocking to me. But if you read this and you study it and you go back to the original, it's, it's so true. And here's what's so exciting. It changes Not just what we do on Sunday morning. We argue about that all the time. That's hardly any of our time. It changes what I do Monday through Saturday. So that word study leads us to sort of a worship study which says we need to broaden our view of worship. Yes, it is our gatherings, okay? This is important. And there are examples in Scripture of what people did in these gatherings that we emulate. And when people started skipping church in the book of Hebrews, by inspiration, they say, you don't need to do that. 
Stop forsaking the meeting of yourselves together. Well, why? Because what happens here is rather significant. It's the first day of the week, and it should set the tone for the rest of the week. You see, here we come together to remember who God is, remember who we are, remember who we've been called to be, to not only do that, but to remember that we're not the only ones out in this world trying to live a life of worship. So what happens on Sunday, the first day of the week, should be preparation for the rest of the week. And how exciting that the rest of the week is worship. Because if the only worship we have is right now, at best, you're going to spend an hour and 15 minutes at worship, right? Guess what? You spend 40 to 50% of your waking hours at work. And the average American will work 500,000 hours in their lifetime. So here's the good news, guys. Your worship doesn't end here. It goes there. And when we see these two things connected, it changes worship. Because listen, if I've been living a life of worship, it's not hard for me to walk in here and worship. But if this is the first time I've thought about worship all week, sometimes I can't even flip the switch. My mind's been so encumbered by so many other things in God, and now you're going to tell me to walk in here at 11 o'clock and flip this switch, and all of a sudden we are just fired up about worship? That's, that's hard. And, and if you think this is the only worship, and you go to work tomorrow and you face all those issues we just talked about, it's going to be hard for you to flip the switch and say, you know what, I'm supposed to bring glory to God here. So, guys, we've got to see the connection. Now, here's a verse that puts it all together. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Because here's what we're trying to say. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, hold your breath, do it all for the glory of God. That's pretty broad. Paul says you do this for the glory of God. So our worship study involves our gatherings, and it involves our work. They're not separate. Church I worked for in Pensacola, we had a really great sign at the edge of the parking lot. It was a sign, the same sign on both sides. And when you entered or when you left, here's what it said. Enter to worship, leave to serve. I like that. But here's what we're discovering today. That sign could say, enter to worship, leave to worship. There's not a difference there. Well, that's so very powerful. So we finally got to where I'm trying to get to today. Our one point, here it is. My work is worship. And guys, when you're trying to get motivated to go to where you got to go tomorrow, this is an internal motivation that will help us overcome all the external things that are driving us crazy. Because I go there in the image of God to represent God. I go there to take the raw materials thrown in front of me and to do something that would glorify Him. Now, some of you are sitting there, and I understand this, and I'm not trying to act like this is easy. I am embarrassed we hadn't preached about this more. Because if this is 40 to 50% of our waking hours, Whew, we need to talk about this. But some of you are going, well, buddy, that's impossible. I mean, you don't know how bad it is where I work. 
Well, turn to Scripture with me real quick. Colossians chapter 3, great passage here. And let me just, let me just read it. We're going we're gonna to first of all just stop on the first word. Colossians 3 verse 22. Here's the first word. Slaves. Oh, my goodness. He's writing this to slaves. And he's going to tell them, you could work in such a way to bring glory to God. Okay. Anybody in a worse position than a slave? I doubt it. So here's what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly master in everything and do it. Not only when their eyes on you. Don't work just hard. Don't work hard just when someone's watching you. And to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. There's our worship start. Now listen to verse 23. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord. You got a bad boss, you got a better boss. It's God. Not for you and masters, since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you're serving. So if you've got a bad boss, God says you can overcome that by when you walk into that place, you understand that you're not just serving that boss. The ultimate accountability is to God. And so I love that, guys. We have this series on work. This is probably the most important lesson. Your work can be worship. Now, I want us to get practical about this, and I've asked my friend David Vickers to join me on stage, and somebody could bring up those, those stools, and I'm um, put four words up here. All these words are related. That's what we've looked at so far. We've got the word work, service, worship, ministry, and we'll talk about that last one later, but all of those things are part of what we're talking about, and so um, I, I've come to know and love this man an awful lot and uh, get to spend time with him every week in our man church group. And so first question, David, just, just tell them what you do for a living. Uh, I'm a practicing lawyer. I've been started my 37th year of practicing law. Got a law firm with four lawyers. We do uh, civil work. We do criminal state and federal criminal defense. And we are, I'm also a part-time judge at the city of Montgomery. Okay, so you probably know there's some doubters out here who believe a lawyer can do good things, right? But, but we're, we're here to support I've heard today. that before. You've heard that before. Yeah, Sorry yeah. you heard it in church. That was a bad thing. <laughs> okay, David, over the last few years, something changed that's changed the way you view work. What happened? All right. <clears throat> well, we all uh, have markers that happen in our life, and usually it's a traumatic event where... Uh, you see people and they either lose everything or they find God in it. And if you do, if you do find God, you will, uh, you'll be healed. You will be strengthened. Um, you'll be given peace and you, you will even be given joy in the long run. And, uh, what I, prior to November 1st, 2008, uh, the Lord was my savior, but he was not my, the Lord was my savior, but he was not my Lord. He wasn't the Lord of my life. Mm -hmm. And on that date, uh, we had three police officers knock on our front door at four in the morning and told us that our son had passed away in a car accident. And so that began, I guess, my transformation of letting the Lord become the Lord of my life. I think that, um, that's so touching that, that, 
I, I think I can, you would agree with me, that's the worst thing that's ever happened in your life was losing Griffin. Certainly. But yet God has taken that and used it, and it changed the way you look at your work. So how do you spend your work day different now after that transformation? Well, let me, I'm going to read my wife. I woke up this morning, she had texted me something I wanted to share with you. She says, Say, saying a prayer for you tonight, for your words tomorrow, you have touched many people who needed to hear that the Lord can change their lives no matter the trouble they find themselves in. Be sure and share about the wristbands that we give out to offer hope that this life begins when this life ends. Yeah. And she's talking about a, a wristband, which I've given all of mine out today um, after the first service. But we... Uh, my daughter's idea, and we shared share with people. I share with everybody. First um, Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through fourteen, which says the church, <clears throat> the church was distressed because the people said, I'll, "We have loved ones that have left us, and we'll never see them again." And Paul is telling telling the church that those that are asleep will come back with Jesus, and you will be reunited with them. And so, if I'm on the bench at the city. Uh, and somebody comes before me, um, especially young people that are driving 100 miles an hour or whatever it is, I'll give them, I'll, one of the things I'll order them to do is wear this wristband for at least a month and so they can, and I just point out the, the danger and those kind of things. I had a guy come up to me one time, and he was before me, and he had never been in trouble, and he had been arrested like three times in a month, and I said, what's going on with you? He says, it's meth, and I said, well, why this time of your life have you turned to meth? And he said, well, I, my, my brother was killed six months ago. And so after court, I asked him to stay, and I walked around to the front, and I gave him a wristband, and I just shared, you know, you get to see him again. You, you, you are going to get to see him again, but trust in the Lord and trust in your treatment, and, and you, can, you can get there. So whereas before... I was a Christian lawyer that tried to help people. Now I'm really a, a Christian lawyer trying to save lives, and it's, it's like night and day because I would separate it from 8 to 5. I'd be a good Christian lawyer, then I'd come to church and get fed and go back and do it again, and now it's all intertwined. And I got there. We've got a, a man church Bible study on uh, Thursday morning at the farmer's market, which is just transforming my life too, and... I realized that the number of people that I come in contact with, I mean, they come in broken. Their family comes in broken. I see it in their face. Uh, they're struggling. They're hurting. I go to court, and people in court, most people in court are hurting, whether they're in pain all the time or drug all the time or whatever it is. And it's, it's just changed how I do everything. And so what I do is, <clears throat> you want to ask another question? You want me to keep talking? No, you do. <laughs> I don't think you need any questions. <laughs> so what I do at night now, I've developed through thinking about all those people I come in contact with, and it's just such a gold mine for people that you can touch their lives. I pray at night when I go to bed. I learned this from Buddy. I pray for Thanksgiving for what's happened that day, and then I pray for my clients that I'm going to have in court tomorrow or I have a hearing or that kind of thing. And then when I get up at, in the morning and I'm driving to work, I, of course, cut my music down. And I just pray the Lord will bring these people to me and will help me to intervene and help me 
help him change their lives. And it's, um, it's just insane the number of people that just scream, I need help, and, I'm, and I can be there for them. And, I, of course, I love every minute of it as well. I get, I get blessed too. Um, I, I can only imagine how easy it would be to say, you know, I'm going to have all these people in trouble coming. Let me just sort of get through this as quick as possible. But what I hear you saying, David, is, is that you, you've decided – I met people with people at the, the best time in their life because they're broken. And that's when people are most open to the gospel. And so you're able to take that and use it as a ministry. And honestly, like we're talking about today, is a thing that brings glory to God. Anything else you want to share with us? I just, it, it changes how you, obviously changes how you view work. I do want to share one client that came in and he had, uh, he had started stealing from his company and had gone on and on and, um, he came to me and he started telling me his story and he brought me a bunch of bank statements and all to show me what he'd done. And then he started telling me that he had planned to commit suicide, but his father had taken the gun away from him. And I just, of course, pushed away all the bank statements and I just said, well, we got to pray. And so we prayed and, uh, and then I said, man, this is your story. Think of the people you're going to help with this story. I mean, your kids will never be the same. People you come in contact with will be the same because of what the Lord's going to do in your life. And it just, and he's just, he's been amazing. But when I got later that morning, he, he texted me and he said, God really does have me covered. And his plan of putting you in my life at this moment was exactly what I needed. Your words today saved my life, my marriage, and gave me hope. God bless you. So. Amen. Give this guy a hand for sharing with us. Awesome. You're so good. What, what a perfect illustration of, of how this can change when you just have a change of attitude. So just real quickly before we, before we sing together, I just want to talk just for a moment. How do you turn your work into worship? And the first thing I think David's been saying so plainly, and I think the scripture we've been studying has said extremely plainly, is you've got to erase the divide between the sacred and the spiritual. You know, one of the worst things that happen is I, I go, wow, this is my spiritual life here, and then this is just my secular life, this is my worship life, this is my work life. And I'll be honest, I, I sort of feed into this sometimes, often when I'm with someone, I'll ask them, how's your spiritual life? And I think it's a legitimate question, but what I'm pretty much focused on is how you do it in church, how you doing with your quiet time in Bible study and prayer, how are you doing in the spiritual things you do, not understanding that there is no divide. There is no disconnection between the two. And guys, this was one of the great parts of the great reformation of Christianity. Before the reformation, it was looked at that the church world was the only spiritual world. And so the only spiritual people could be priests or monks or nuns. Anybody outside of that was not looked as spiritual. And we even do this sometimes. We say, well, buddy, you're a minister, and I'm uh, like there's a divide. And sometimes we try to make it sound a little bit softer. Buddy, you're a full-time ministry. Well, what does it make you? A part-time ministry? You know, a, you know, a, a rookie ministry? 
I mean, no, that's not the idea. And in the restoration movement our church is a part of, one of the great things was the idea is there's not a clergy-laity divide. It was the restoration of what Scripture says, the priesthood of all believers. So when we get out of here today, you're just as much a minister as I am. I get paid for it, sorry. But I mean, you're just as much a minister as I am. And so we all go out as ministers. So we've got to erase that crazy divide there. And number two, we've got to be motivated to glorify God. Let's do what Martin Luther said in part of his teaching on this. The maid who sweeps the kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because our God is interested in good craftsmanship. So you've got to, to rethink your job is you do things that take all of these different resources organize them, bring them together to something that is excellent, that brings glory to God. And then number three, be aware of the power of worship. Because worship is so powerful. We know that in this room. You know, I have people come up to me all the time and say, man, I walked in this place, I felt the Spirit of God. Man, I was a part of this worship, and man, my heart just started to soften. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about an unbeliever who walks into the assembly, and it's so powerful, he says, God is in this place. And so, guys, we know the transformative power of worship in this room. Here's my challenges, and here's God's challenge. Do you see the transformative power of worship at your workplace? Listen to what Jesus said about this. Matthew 5, verse 16. He said, in the same way. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. Don't stop there. Let you go out and let your light shine. Here's their response. They may see your good deeds, and then what did they do? They glorify your Father in heaven. Your life of excellence and worship will, in the long run, influence people with good hearts to say, you know what, I want to join in bringing praise to you. I can only imagine all the lawyers in David's practice who've noticed the way he practices and it's changed the way they practice. So let me leave you with something challenging in one story. First of all, here's the Gallup poll about how most Americans look at work, okay? Here's the statistics. You can skip a couple slides there, all right? 32% of American workers say, they're actively engaged in their work. 51% say, I'm not engaged. And I might go, I show up, I do what's expected. I clock out as soon as possible. I don't really put my heart into it. This is even more shocking. 17% say they go to their work and they're actively disengaged. Wow. Can, can I ask you real quickly and ask myself, which category do you belong in? And guys, please don't, 
I'm not saying this tritely. I'm not saying this is easy because many of you work in very difficult situations, go to school and go to places and, you know, uh, a stay-at-home mom that makes it really hard. I mean, I know all those things happen. But which category would you put yourself in? Are you just trying to make it through the day, just check the boxes, just are, are you actively, like only a, like a third of Americans are, actively engaged in that work? Now, here's the good news. Our one point this morning could completely put all of us in the actively engaged category. If we believed that our work can bring worship to God, so I'm not so worried about what's going on around me or even who's above me except God, and God, I'm going to come here, and I'm going to be motivated out of my mind because I'm doing this for you. When I was young, back in the 70s, there was a, a TV ad that just has stuck with me. And it was trying to motivate people to work. And this is the way it would go. They would show someone doing their work. And when they finished it, they had to sign their name. So in other words, if, if someone was out paving a road on that black pavement, they would finish their work at the end of the day, and they would sign their name. Or if someone was baking a cake, they had signed their name to that. Or if someone was doing some accounting work, they would put their name in a prominent place. Or someone was turning in, you know, a project at school, their name. And here was, here was the idea. If you could just associate your work with your name, if, 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 wouldn't you be more motivated when someone rides down that street and they go, wow, it's Buddy Bell who paved this street. Well, I'm going to be more motivated to do better. But here's the good news we've got this morning. God's not calling you to write your name on your work. He's calling you today to write his name on your work. That will motivate you. And I get chills down my back just saying that. His name. Because you are his image bearer. You are his representative. You are his agent. So I'm going to put elders in the four corners and their wives, see how many we got here today. Last week, we started praying for people with one elder and a couple go over here. I see Jeff here. I see Bill back here. We'll get as many corners as we can. And um, Jason here. Jason, if you'd come up here to this front right. Jeff, if you'd come over here to your left in this corner, Bill will be there in the back. And um, here's what we do. While, while we're singing, we started this last week. We found out there's a lot of... A lot of things we're all facing. Alan Candy, you guys come on up here if you would. And um, just take advantage just to go say, hey, this is what's going on in my work. I, I don't need to say this in front of the whole crowd, but, but I need you to pray for me. For some of us, the work needs to be before that. Uh, where it all starts is when I say, I am going to do an act of worship. I'm going to put myself on the altar. I'm going to surrender my life. It's not going to be about me anymore. It's going to be about him. I want to sign his name in everything I do. And so this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never taken that first step of being baptized, you know what happens in that moment? Your old self dies and a new person resurrects because of the mercy of God. So if you want to do that, meet me on the front row. Or if you need just some special prayer, let me, let me tell you all, we had one of the most incredible moments in first service I've ever been a part of in a worship service. 
the, the person who came forward was Ricky Smith. Three weeks ago, she lost her son, Jeremiah, almost the same age of Griffin. And you know what she said? I want to be like David. And on this front row, I saw those two parents, arm in arm, lifting their hands in praise to God. I don't think I've ever seen anything more powerful. So guys, if you need some special help, that's what this front row's for. Just come as we all stand together and sing.